Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, today on Kidney Talk, we're going to be talking about an issue that I know a lot of my friends have, and it's spoken about on the internet, but I am so pleased to be talking to Wayne Cannell, who founded the Invisible Disabilities Association. So welcome to the program, Wayne. Well, thank you, and by the way, we call it IDA as well, if that's easier sometimes to say. (laughs) I know, Invisible Disabilities Association is a mouthful. Well, tell us a little bit about why you decided to start this association. Well, it really goes back to, you know, why a lot of people start nonprofits, hopefully, is because of a personal, uh, you know, something that impacted them personally. And um, it actually goes back to my wife. I actually met my wife in 1992. And uh, when I had met her, she had already been diagnosed with primary progressive multiple multiple sclerosis the year before. Um, She was permanently disabled at the age of 27, so I met her when she was 28. Um, She was then diagnosed with Lyme disease from a tick bite. Which we can actually trace back to when she was 14 years old and had been sick on and off, but they didn't know what it was. And, she, you know, she'd been an actress and a model, did musical theater. You know, in a lot of sense, it, it seemed the epitome of health and really an A personality and a go-getter. And um, all of a sudden, you know, struck down at 27 and unable to work and those things. And But if you looked at her, you'd have no idea that uh, there was anything going on with her. And we got married in 94, and in 96, she coined the phrase Invisible Disabilities. Because we'd park in accessible parking, we'd go to different places, and people would go, you know, the, you, you know, you're not disabled, you can't park there. And the reality is, she was in pain from head to toe all the time, and but you couldn't tell. You know, she was one, an actress, so she could put on a great smile, and two, she looked 10 to 15 years younger than she was as well. And so, you know, people would uh, get all of her case, and so that's uh, kind of start launched the organization. '96 took some of her. Uh, she had written some things on multiple sclerosis and on um, uh, disabled parking, and. I said, let's launch an internet site, and it, back in 1997, and we launched our internet site, and uh, before you know it, 20 to 25,000 people a month were coming to the site and uh, from around the world and said, you've put into words what I've been trying to share with my friend and family or my loved one. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point because, you know, I've been going to therapy lately, and I have to say, I'm probably the youngest one by, you know, at least 20 years. And I look pretty good, and everybody else, you know, you can, they're on a cane, or they're on oxygen, or they're doing different things, or maybe it's the time of day that I'm going, but there's a lot of sick-looking people who are having therapy, and I can't tell you how many times people think I'm either the staff, or they think, well, why are you here? You look fine. And in some ways, you know, I'm like, well, that's a compliment, but, (laughs) you know, I don't want to look sick. But at the same time, it it doesn't let people really empathize, you know, what's going on in your life. And that can be emotional disturbing. You think about even the whole issue of, like, disabled parking, what, what the general public doesn't understand is in order to have a placard or a license to park there, um, it's not based upon mobility necessarily. I mean, there are, you know, a friend of mine recently had a stroke, um, he needs a disabled parking uh, pass because if he comes out, he can't remember where the car's parked. You know, that's something we think, well, he can walk fine, right, but there's some other issue going on, and a lot of we don't know what it is, you know, that's causing. And so the whole issue of looking that way, um, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit longer, but 
later in, the, in this conversation, but we wrote a book in 1998 called But You Look Good. Mm -hmm. We won't go into detail with that, but it's exactly what you just said. When people go, well, But You Look Good, <laughs> you know, right. kind of thing is like, yeah, but I don't feel good. I feel like crap. <laughs> I know in when you have kidney failure, one of the common problems is you're anemic. And so you basically don't have enough red blood cells and you feel tired and fatigue and, you know, you can get shortness of breath. and But you look okay. If you put a little blush on, you look fine. You might look a little pale, but other than that, you know, it's invisible. Right. Well, we, we have a tendency to make, you know, it's kind of the, the first appearance judgment. And we make it very quickly based upon what we see. Well, what we hear, you know, I'll give you an example of, you know, if somebody calls and talks to my wife, you know, when she answers the phone, she's like, hi, hello, you know, and you're thinking, are you doing better? And the reality is if she answered the phone, oh, hello, you probably wouldn't call her back, right? So, right. So you try, like you said, is you try to not look sick or sound sick because you're afraid, well, people won't even talk to me if I am. But the reality is it's that, it's that tension between... But if I don't look at it at all, then what do they think, right? That I'm right. not. Well, you can't deny your illness. This was a issue when I was, you know, in my 20s. And I was really coming to terms with just accept my illness. And, you know, there were two thoughts in my girlfriend camp who had a chronic illness. And one of them was that, you know, you never tell anybody you're dating you ever have an illness. And the other group was like, well, you tell them the first thing. And I'm like, well, it's somewhere in between. Because if your illness defines you, then, you know, they're going to leave skid marks when they're, you know, at the dinner table. And then if you wait until you've had a connection I mean, it's somewhat unfair to them to not let them know who you are. So it's a balance. Right. It, well, it is. It, and it's a, the difficulty is, is the balance is on the person with the illness, right. not on the other person, which is kind of frustrating in some sense. Well, and I always said, you know, sometimes my illness kept some of the jerks away from me. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of glad that, you know, well, unanswered prayers. Well, well, I do hear that, even, even with my wife. I mean... Um, you know, I married her, and I knew she was disabled, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I didn't even know that was an inspiring thing. And I, f I found out lately that that's quite inspiring. I didn't think about it that way. You know, I just, I married her who she was, this amazing lady, and not because, oh, she has MS and Lyme disease. That's not what it was. That's, I always figured I got the, the, the for worse and in sickness thing out of the way. You know, we'll just start there, and we'll kind of work on the other things, and, um, it's funny because I'll, I'll tell guys, I said, well, you know, if you would have met her, you would have married her too. You just missed out. <laughs> well, wh how did you meet your wife? Um, she actually was a customer of mine at a store I was managing, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> so that's how I met her. She came in, and I was uh, quite smitten right off the bat. And, <laughs> um, we started dating. And, but she ran into the same thing you were talking about. Is, is um, When guys found out that she was ill, I mean, you know, gone. They were all out of there and, and those kind of things. So... But they missed out on an amazing lady. That's, you know, we people for, don't think about that. They, you know, we have we have person has an illness. They are not their illness. Right. And um, you know, that's one of the things that Invisible Disabilities really wants people to understand is, is that even though it's invisible, you know, we want people to believe people that it's real, and to also understand that that person is just as valuable even though maybe they aren't being productive by what we think of in society, they are just as valuable as anybody else. 
Well, you know, an interesting saying that I like to use is adversity introduces you to yourself. So when you have an illness, you are introduced to yourself. So if you meet somebody after they have an illness, chances are you're getting the person they are. Oh, yeah. Great. That's a great, yeah, great thought. You know, because they're not going to eventually, you know, in 10, 20 years have an illness and then all that struggle. You know, it's just like an orange. When you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out of it, quoting Wayne Dyer. And, you know, when you don't have an illness, you're not squeezed in a lot of areas. So you don't know who you are. Well, tell us a little bit about your book, But You Look Good. So obviously the emphasis is on the term look, right? Because, you know, here, you know, Sherry, uh, my wife came up with the title, you know, um, she looks great, you know, I mean, and so people would say that, they go, well, but you look good, and, the, and really, the, even that term is like, you know, it's almost like saying, well, but you look good, so you, are you sick, are you just pulling one over on me, you know, that kind of thing, it's, it's, it, 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 the book is really about what I call learning the language of invisible disabilities, because it really is a language um, that uh, we forget, you know, when, when we see somebody go through a, um, an injury and like in an accident and they're trying to learn to walk again and you want to come along and everybody comes along and cheers them on, you know, you can get out of the chair and, and you can just do it. Well, when you're dealing with a chronic illness or chronic pain a lot of times, I mean, your marathon is getting out of bed. And so when somebody says, well, if you'd only get out and walk more or if you, you know, or they make things like, well, because you mentioned this earlier, well, I'm tired too, right? It's like, tired too? Well, you know, the exhaustion a person with illness goes through is sometimes they're so exhausted they can't even sleep. Mm-hmm. People don't really even understand that at all. So the book really helps in that language. Um, it's just a little 60-page guide or so, and actually what's exciting is, is uh, in the not-too-distant future, we're going to be expanding the book and adding stories and, and doing a lot of amazing things with it. Right now you can only get it from our website. And... Um, but, you know, we've had over 26,000 of them go around the world, and we've watched husbands on their knees after they read the book and say, Honey, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't get it. You know, we had a lady in a, um, New Zealand whose husband read it straight away, you know, because it's a nice short book. And she said, and he brought me tea and biscuits in bed the next morning. <laughs> now, I didn't understand what that was until I met somebody from New Zealand. They said, You have no clue how important that is. That's an amazing thing that he did that. You know, and so we hear that a lot. It's preparing for this journey of, of, of um, illness and pain and disability. And let me give you one quick little short language issue. If you have somebody who's a friend who's always chronically ill and they're in pain all the time, and every time you see them, you always ask them, how are you feeling, right? Well, they got two choices. They either, say, they either lie to you and say, I'm feeling okay, but you know they're in pain all the time. Or they, you know, uh, you know, and they don't know what to do. But if you ask them this simple question of how are you doing versus mm-hmm. how are you feeling, Right. It makes a dramatic difference because they, then they have the freedom to say, you know, I'm doing okay, but I'm not feeling well. Or I'm not doing well because I'm not feeling well. Right? It gives you that, that, that opportunity. And so that's what we really try to do in the book is it's a what to say, what not to say, some tips you can do, um, help people understand that um, being a friend can be actually really easy when you do little things like bring somebody lunch once a month. You know, not, not a big deal, but that one time... It gives them value. It helps them not have to do, do it, make it that day themselves. You know, all those kind of things. Well, it's interesting because 
um, when I, I've had several bouts of illness in my life, and I have a certain group of friends that know what I need when I'm depressed or I'm feeling bad, and they know, come on, Lori, let's make something, and they bring over an art project or they pull out my art projects, and and it helps me get the focus off of feeling bad. I might look fine, but they know that. And, you know, many years ago, um, I had a friend who basically he was in a wheelchair and he was driving and we needed gas. And, you know, I sat there, I'm like, oh my God, it's a big deal for him to get out and get gas. And I said, oh, let me get gas for you. And he goes, I love when I have walkie friends. And, you know, and, you know, it kind of puts things in perspective. You know, I'm a walkie friend and you just don't really realize because he's such a, he was a, you know, high level executive, very professional, but he had difficulty. He had to actually get transferred to the wheelchair to put gas in. What's neat about it is, is this is where we, with Invisible Disabilities, really try to help people to believe people with what they can do and can't do, right? Because he's in a wheelchair, he's like, there's a lot of things that he can do that we may say, oh, well, you can't do that because you're in a wheelchair. But there's other instances where he allowed you to say, hey, you know, it's okay that I can't do this. And sometimes I like somebody helping me. Right. But there's other times, like, I don't want anybody helping me. Right. And, and what we have a hard time believing somebody is, is we see them in one situation, you know, they let's say they came to one a support group or something one week, and then the next week you invite them over for coffee, and they're like, well, we can't come. And you say, well, but you came to the support group. Well, it's not for us to judge why they can't make it this time. I mean, we don't know what they went through to get to that support group. You know, we right. don't know what they... You know, it's it's his balancing act, but it really is what I call believing the person. Right. Just don't think that they're exaggerating or making it up. Absolutely not. Right. And I know that a lot of people, you know, when I'm like, I can't do this, they get disappointed. They're like, they're disappointed in you. And there is no more difficult, you know, coach than my own brain. <laughs> my own brain is so tough on me when I can't do something, my own inner critic that we don't need anybody else telling us, oh, well, why can't you do that? Yeah, well, it's right. And it's, it's, I always say, if you want to learn about what a person's going through on a daily basis, they're the best expert at it, right? They're the, the person with the illness is the best expert. But you can't just go ask anybody off the street that question. You have to earn the right to be their friend. Then you can ask them that question. Right. But you, but you can't make the assumption, even if you can't ask them the question, that you know better. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that happened, too, is people are like, well, how can I help you? And they ask you that question. And sometimes, you know, I don't even know how to answer that. And what I prefer, if somebody would say, you know what, how, how about if we get together and, you know, make jewelry? Or how about if we get together and I, you know, bring lunch or we, I pick you up and we go to lunch? It really helps me when I don't feel good for somebody to provide something to do as opposed to say, how can I help you? Because a lot of times I don't even know what I need. I just feel so crappy. Right. Well, it's funny because we talk about the the whole issue of that when people are ill, they don't always want to talk about their illness. In fact, a lot of times they don't want to talk about it. But people always want to, you know, how can I help? How are you feeling? You know, all those kind of things versus, you know, like you said, hey, are you up for a movie? Now, what I would say is, and this is the other thing that people have to understand is, and we talk about this in the book, is you need to make a pact with that person ahead of time and say, and they say, I'm going to invite you to a movie once a month, and you have the right to say no from now till eternity. Right. You can never go to a movie with me even, but I'm going to still keep asking you. 
And that's the problem is, is that we'll ask friends, you know, we'll ask a family member to an event, they can't make it. Okay, we get that the first time. We ask them again the second time, they can't make it. Then we stop asking. Right. The problem is, don't ever stop asking. Make right. that pact that says, you know, and then the one time they make it, what you don't do is say, oh, you must be feeling great. No, what you do is you praise them and say, oh, my goodness, I know what it took for you to be here. I'm honored that you came, and I know what you're going to pay for afterwards. Wow. You know, that is such a great point because one of the issues that a lot of people have with a chronic illness is multiple doctor visits. Oh, my goodness. I I probably have like 10 different physicians and and that's probably on the low side. And luckily, my husband can get Family Medical Leave Act when I'm not able to take myself. And I have friends and family that can, you know, take me on occasion. But there have been situations when I don't know how I'm going to get to the doctor. And it's interesting because I have a hard time asking for help. And then a lot of my peers, because I have a, a position of a president and founder of RSN and in the community, they don't see me as have had, you know, 48 surgeries and double knee replacements and a hip replacement, uh, you know, the queen of parts of Glendale. And, you know, they just don't see me that way. They see me as somebody who helps others. And I think, you know, it's so great that you're bringing up this topic because you just never know. Well, you can't judge, I think you said, a book by its cover. <laughs> right, you know, you're talking about doctor's appointments. It's interesting because we had a friend who, long-time friend of my wife's, who asked her one time, you know, what are you doing for your multiple sclerosis? You know, what kind of question is that? Well, you know, if you're like Sherry is, she has a running total of her doctors because when she sees a new doctor, she like, here's my file and here's all the re- research and everything. And she had gone to like something like 185 or 200 doctors' appointments the year before. Now that included things, you know, like massage therapy. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But it was like, here's what I did last year. Is that enough? You know, kind of <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You know. And then I know the other thing is, is that uh, you know, sometimes some of those doctors' points, I know that uh, Sherry's driven herself on some of these because sometimes uh, getting somebody to help you, um, they wear her out. Right you know, riding in a different car. So she's almost as worn out with somebody driving her sometimes as she's doing it herself. So it's this kind of this battle, this battle there, too, of just trying to, you know, how can people help? And you, you mentioned um, about where you don't necessarily ask for it because you're like, I don't want to put people out. Cause I'm really, you know, supposed to be the strong one here, like you said, is especially heading up the organization. Uh, a friend of uh, Sherry's really admonished her and said, if you don't allow me to help, I don't get to use my gifts. Right. To help you. And I went, we both went, wow. Right. When she offers, you know, sometimes you, yeah, that's okay to let her help. You know, the secret to happiness is helping others. You know, that's just a common thing. And we don't always let people help us. And, you know, look, I need help going to the doctor. Can you take me? Because I haven't been cleared for driving. And, you know, I have friends who have seizure disorders. I mean, it is horrific to not be able to get in a car and drive because your license has been pulled. And if you live in Los Angeles, you know, we don't have any type of transportation that gets you anywhere quickly. (laughs) So it it can be pretty difficult. One other thing, you know, that when you talk about invisible disabilities, I make it a point when I go see a physician to look my best. And the reason I do that is because people treat you with more respect when you look put together. You know, what's interesting, though, is I have actually found that the opposite happens. And my mother-in-law also has some illness issues. 
and she had some um, a social worker come over to evaluate her. She always puts on her best front. Well, no, I mean like clothes, and I mean I, I no, try I to look that, nice. But it's the same thing, though. What happens is sometimes, from the invisible standpoint, sometimes they don't believe people. I need to like not put makeup on or anything, huh? Right. In fact, there's you know, and sometimes she'll even take a cane, and she you know she does have some balance issues, but she doesn't need to use it per se. You know, but they're, right, what happens is if you act like you have it all together, which I don't blame you for wanting to do that, right? Because it's like, you know, who wants to feel like they're falling apart in something? <laughs> but the reality is, is it can have the opposite effect. Because right. then the doctors can go, or the nurses or whatever, eh, they must not be doing too bad. They must be doing better. When in reality is you, you just said, I'm going to, you know, this, you're going to use all your energy. And the second you get home, you're like, crash. But in reality is, you know. I think that sometimes, you know, it may, like I said, it may work for you for that, but I, I found that a lot of people that, you know, trying to make it all put together actually it's, it gets themselves in trouble in some sense. Right. No, because it's, you know, when you go to the emergency room, you have to look sick. <laughs> That's funny, right. right. Yeah, I'm in my nice suit and I'm all dressed up and here, right. Uh, okay, back of the line. <laughs> I know. Well, see, what you need to do is you need to not look your best, and then your advocate who goes with you needs to look their best. No, that's so, an idea, right. So they know that they're on your their toes, and, you know, if you have any problems. Well, tell us a little bit about how you can get the book, your organization, before we wrap up. So they, our, our main website's invisibledisabilities.org. Very easy to get to, very in fact, if you just type the term invisible disabilities in, you'll find it. Um, the book's available on the site. Uh, we also have, there's about eight or ten different pamphlets on there, everything from disabled parking to um, looks can be deceiving. There's some on service animals. Uh, there's, a, there's one on multiple sclerosis. There's, you know, it's just a few different, and they're great. We have people that hand them out to all their friends and family. They, they order the books. There's a whole, you can order books at a discount, and they'll, I've had people order 25 books, send it out to the whole friends and family, and we've gotten amazing reports back. You know, from the family's like, oh, I finally get it. I'm so sorry, kind of thing. So all that's available on the website. And then we have, you know, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Um, we have an, our own online social network called the Visible Disabilities Community. You can go there directly.org, or you can go from the site as well. And, and it's a place to really share what you're going through, like you talk about. Right. You know, kind of like the Renal Support Network. Right? I mean, really share what you're going through. But it's not open to the public, so you can't just, you know, surf in and, and come check out what everybody's talking about. It's really... And we don't allow things like we don't allow people to sell things on there, you know, or hawk their latest whatever, because we don't want people to feel that there's some kind of pressure for being there. Well, you know, I really appreciate you and your wife, Sherry, you know, encouraging, connecting, and educating people in the community, because I have a saying, if you have one friend that makes a difference and understands you in that unspoken language... That can get you through the next day and get you through the next hurdle and help you live a happy life. So what you're doing is amazing, and I appreciate your time and sharing this topic. And, and thank you for being such a great spokesperson for husbands caring for their wives. And I'm sure there's a lot of wives out there who do the same for their husbands, but, you know, sounds like a beautiful partnership. Well, it's, you know, like I said, she's amazing, and I wrote a big a blog about it for disability.gov back on uh, February 13th called The Love That's Unbroken, which is a really powerful story about not just my story, but 
quite a few different people's stories talking about that. So That's amazing. I, I want to just share this one little tip before we break away. But, you know, I met my husband in 1996 and we married in 1997. And of course, I'd already had three transplants and, you know, several surgeries. But he gives me an anniversary card every month since we've been married. Wow. And I think, wow, you know, somebody who has had a, such a chronic illness, we all have, you know, baggage and, you know, are you lovable? And, you know, am I a, you know, damaged goods? And, you know what? He reminds me every month how much he loves me. And I think what an incredible gift. Oh, amazing. I love it. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.